A warm welcome to all who have faith in Christ Jesus, the Son of our Creator God, who allows us to come and worship before God in assurance, peace, and security. As we sing, read, and listen, may we be filled with a sense of joy and awe at the work of God in our lives, and may He fill us with love for one another and our world. Praise be to God. Amen. Confession is a, a wonderful time for us to be honest with God and ourselves, to reflect on ways that we have spoken or thought or acted that might not reflect Christ himself. When we confess, we have confidence, we have assurance that Christ defends us, that Christ's purity cleanses us of our sins. Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and confess that we are sinners. Throughout this week, we've lived in ways that are not like your Son, Jesus Christ. Our rebellion against you shows that we still are sinful and in constant need of your grace. We sometimes lie when we feel threatened. We sometimes boast when we feel insecure. We sometimes steal when we feel entitled. We are often quick to judge because we feel judged. We are honest with you because you are honest with us. You have openly told us about our sin and forgive us, and so we openly tell you about our sin now. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ through which we confess. Thank you that you consistently forgive and show us grace despite our failure to live blameless lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first scripture reading is from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. God saved Christians through Christ and by faith. And he seeks to change our passions, our perspective through people. I uh, was hesitant about using three Ps, so if you want to substitute people for others, you can do so. Christ saves us through his work on the cross by our faith. And he seeks to change our passions, our perspectives through others or people. The text uh, in Titus that we're looking at today begins with verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, the type of grace that saves us, that saves us from our sins, that saves us from ourselves, that saves us, saves us from judgment, has appeared. He's talking about the past. We celebrated Christmas uh, the last 25 days, anticipating the coming of our salvation. 
this news, this gospel that, that, that we have received and that we celebrate on Christmas has appeared to all men, Paul says. And it teaches us something, he says in verse 12. It teaches us to say no. No to ungodliness and worldly passions. So that we can live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, which I think we all can agree is often not uh, leaning towards self-control, uprightness, and godly lives. Now, when, when I read personally uh, words like ungodliness or worldly passions, it's easy to think about maybe extreme, extreme manifestations of passion. Maybe it's wild drunkenness or going, going to parties and trying to find someone to hook up with. Or, you know, it's mentioned a lot in, in, in Paul's letters that passions and, and, and lust and these types of, these types of uh, outcroppings of one's feelings are often having to do with, with, with alcohol and sex. But it's not just lust and it's not just drunkenness. It's not just carousing as, as the Bible often mentions. But it's other things. It's other things like greed. It's other things like pride. It's another thing like bitterness. Holding a grudge against someone else. Thinking one's always right, being unwilling to listen. All of these things come from ungodliness. All of these come from a passion or at least a perspective in our lives. You see, God wants to change us through Christ. He's offered us salvation that requires our faith, but He seeks to change our passions. Our passions, the things that come out of us, which we are passionate about. And if we're passionate about ourselves, that could be a lot of bad things that come out. And how that comes out is going to be different for each and every one of us. So he talks about self-control, uprightness, godly lives. Living in a way that reflects him in an age or a time period or a location that is predominantly evil or not concerned with the things of God. I was thinking about how this plays out in the life of a minister. A minister or a pastor or a priest are public figures, whether they like it or not. And I was thinking about how each and every one of us have giftings and each and every one of us have shortfalls, things that, that we aren't good at and maybe things that are public. And I was thinking about how this plays out in the life of a minister or a priest. Now, I've learned that there's, there's several things that, that are required um, that, that, that certain people have giftings in and as far as ministry is concerned. And uh, one of those is theology. Some people are very theological. They think in broad concepts. Maybe it's their denomination, um, whether it's you know, Roman Catholic or even Protestant, uh, they're, they're, they're quick to understand the broad concepts of the Bible in the terms of theology. And then we have other people that have strong biblical knowledge where they can look at passages or texts uh, like this one and, and interpret them in order for people to understand. And then we have other types of ministers that are good with uh, pastoral ministry, 
In other words, coming alongside of people, walking alongside people, encouraging them, helping them think through issues. And, and it's obvious, I think, what those giftings are in certain ministers. If you've ever, if you've met multiple ministers in your life, you probably know that it's easy to figure out what those giftings are in each person that, that you may be under in a church. But then I started thinking about the downfalls or the shortfalls of, of certain ministers. And I think we've all heard a story or maybe we've read a news line, a news heading about a minister or a priest that has fallen, that is no longer eligible to be a priest. We've seen a lot of that um, not only in the Roman Catholic Church recently, but also in Protestant churches in the, in the United States. Big, big, famous ministers falling on account of certain things. And usually that thing has to do with sex. And we think that of these big st uh, stories or headlines about the passions of Christian leaders is primarily um, manifested in terms of, of sex. But I wonder how many pastors or priests, religious leaders, who are ineligible to lead, but it's based on their greed or it's based on their pride. Or it's based on the idea that they, they don't think that they are worthy to listen to other people's corrections. Or maybe they're unkind. Or maybe they think that, that being a leader is just about information. And how many times that goes under the radar? See, when we think about passions, it's easy to think about drugs and sex and rock and roll. Instead, we need to be thinking how are our hearts being exposed by our actions in terms of how we speak and how we act? And typically this uh, is easily checked, more easily checked by people's feedback. But I was thinking about that in my own life. I know that I have certain giftings and I'm not good at other things. And I was thinking how might my sin be most manifest in my life? What is it about my passions or my feelings or my lusts that, that, that cause me to act in a certain way? And it's going to be different probably for everybody. Maybe some people have similar uh, experiences. How this manifests in our life. Because God sent Christ to save us. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And he seeks to change our passions. But he also wants to seek and change our perspective. Our perspective, how we see the world, the, the lens through which we view ourselves and the people around us. Verse 13 says, while we wait for the blessed hope, that is the future, the glorious appearing of God or Jesus Christ at the end times. We've experienced his coming in the past, which is what we celebrate in Christmas. But we also celebrate his second coming when, when all things are going to be made right. Which, which Paul is saying this should inform or cause our perspective to change if we are focusing on the return of Jesus. So he says, we wait for the blessed hope, 
the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the reasons that, that we celebrate Advent is that there's a lot of talk about preparation this, this last month. That when we're preparing for the coming of Christ, we're preparing for the mindset and the perspective that, that is the true meaning of Christmas, which is that God has come to the earth. Now think about when, when you've waited for something very, very intently. You've been thinking about it. It's very hard for your perspective to drift away from that. We're consistently talking, or we're talking about expectations, preparations for Christmas, but it's hard to be selfish if we're consistently anticipating the coming of Jesus. If we're focused, if our perspective is on the goodness of Jesus, it's hard, it's difficult to live out ways that are contrary to Him. It's hard to live on our passions when we have the right perspective. See, Christ saves us through His gospel. But once we're saved, He wants to change our passions, He wants to change our perspective, and He wants to do that through people or others. See, when we... The hardest thing for me, and I think for you, is, is not our, our, the times when we're alone in our rooms praying or reading the Bible and maybe we're encouraged, maybe we're at peace and it's the one time that it's quiet throughout the day. Those aren't the hard times. Those are the easy times. That's when it's really, really easy to be, have the right perspective, to have your passions under control. The hardest times are when you're in the world and the stress comes and the other things that divert your perspective to something else or maybe stir up passions inside you. Maybe you want something or you want to chase something or maybe you just feel, feel uh, beat up or you feel like you're down or you're depressed or whatever it is. Your passions and your perspectives become under attack when you get around people. Unless everybody around you is just a smiling ball of encouragement that always speaks encouraging, kind, truthful words to you. But even if that were the case, your passions and your perspectives may cause you to be defensive. What I'm trying to say is, is that Christ wants to change us. He wants to change our passions and our perspectives, but he usually does it through people. Now, verse 14, he says, He gave himself for us to, one, redeem us from wickedness in order to purify himself, a people for God's very own, in order to do what is good. Okay, so he redeems us, he purifies us in order that we might go and do good. It's, it's a transformational process. He wants to change our passions, our perspectives, and He does it through people. What it means for God to redeem us is that He brings us back. We have strayed like sheep, and He brings us back to Himself. He restores us. And then not only that, but He washes us off. He purifies us. He cleans us. Why does He do that? Because when we get dirty in our sin and and the manifestations of our passions build, we begin to have the wrong perspective. He washes us and says, no, that's not who you are anymore. This is who you are now. 
And it gives us the perspective of, oh, I'm different. God has done something to me that has changed things. In order for us to go out and live lives of goodness. Now, when it comes to good things or good good doing good, it's easy to think of deeds. Maybe it's giving money. Maybe it's serving someone in a homeless shelter. Maybe it's helping someone cross the street. Maybe it's it, it's going down the road to to play with some kids that don't have parents or or some type of 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 ministry. But good deeds are an isolated thing. What Paul's talking about here is a lifestyle. He's talking about a way of life. He's not just talking about motivation to go do some nice things, maybe for an hour or two on the weekends. He's talking about changing our passions and changing our perspectives through other people to where we are different. God is doing something in our life to where we're no longer the same. Not that we just go out and do some nice things and then go back to living the way we used to live before we were Christians. But we're talking about a transformational process, you see. He wants to redeem us. He brings us in. He purifies us so that we may go out and do what is good. In other words, live lives that are like Christ. The thing about other people is, is that it's, it's terribly important that we balance two things. One of those things is truth. That we, in a loving church, who, 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 who confess together, who state what we believe together, it unites us in the way that we think. It unites our perspective. It even might unite our passions, what we desire. We desire to seek God together. And so we hold the same perspective, holding to truths that have been passed down through the church, but have also been passed down through the Bible. And the thing about that is, is that it requires us to be incredibly honest with each other. When we see someone maybe slipping away or falling into worldly passions, it's terribly important and difficult for us to speak honest counsel to each other. But one of the reasons also is that God wants us to use our interactions, our relationships, to make a difference in our lives. And that, that requires us to have incredible patience and love for each other. As much as it is important that we uh, speak truth to each other, it's just as important that we show patience, that we see that other people may be caught in their passions, may have the wrong perspective. And even though God may want us or to use us in the lives of other people, when we are patient and love other people, it teaches us to be like Christ. See, when we teach other people, or we, ha we go into the world to do good, it's not, only from a, it's not always from a place of superiority where we're helping these lowly people that need us. You see, it's, it's transformational for us. It changes our passions away from being selfish. It changes our perspective away from ourselves when we help those who maybe don't deserve it. All of this... All of this has to do with our salvation in Jesus Christ. He wants to save us, yes, and He has done that through our faith and through His work on the cross. But He seeks to change our passions, what we want. 
He seeks to change our perspective, how we see things in the world. And he usually does that through people or others. And often it's through people that are difficult. (laughs) And the truth of the matter is, is that all of us are different and all of us have strengths and weaknesses. Like I was saying about a a certain priest or minister, I know specifically for me too. And so it's so important and so necessary that all of us are included, that all of us are welcome, that all of us contribute to this thing that we call church is because we all have a perspective that helps to to bring out the truth. But it requires all of us to love and show patience, which teaches us how to live like Christ. So he says in verse 15, teach these things. What's he talking about? The previous sections of chapter 2 and the earlier chapters of Titus. If you want to go back this morning and read the, 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 the first 10 verses of chapter 2, it's very, very convicting. But he sums, the, he sums it up with this. Encourage and rebuke. Verse 15, these then are the things you should teach. These things that I mentioned before, and, and I think what I've said today is applicable as well. But encourage and rebuke with all authority. Rebuking is is calling out something, saying, okay, this needs to be different. This needs to be changed, or you're wrong. You've, you've clearly done something that is against what you believe and what I believe, and so I'm going to you know, call you out and, and bring that to light. And sometimes when, when I've done this in the past, I've felt some authority. Like, I know I'm right. I know this person knows they're wrong. And it's my duty and it's my obligation to say what's true. And so I have the authority or the right to say this. But notice he says, encourage as well with all authority. It's hard for me to imagine. I I can imagine authority in terms of rebuking or claiming some type of truth to someone. But it's difficult for me to, to think of what it looks like to encourage with all authority. And as I've been thinking about this, and I, you know, this this is just kind of my interpretation of it. But the authority that we have is not is not coming just from the platform of being right and having the obligation or the the right to say uh, what we say. But the authority comes in the name and the power of of Jesus Himself. We encourage in all authority when we have the right perspective when we have the right passion and when we have the right goal or 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 intention for the other person when we rebuke people or when we encourage people it comes from the authority that Christ has given us it comes with the power that comes through the holy spirit it's not just about being right it's about the perspective, the passion, and the other person. So he says, encourage, come alongside, show patience, show concern. When we encourage other people, we're we're really kind of either encouraging them in ways that we can empathize with, that we fall short, or we're passing on some type of experience or knowledge that we have. 
hey, this happened to me. You can do it too, right? If you're a teacher, for example, or if you're coming along someone that you can you can empathize with what they're going through. Maybe you're going through something together, mutual encouragement. It comes from the authority that Christ has given you in his salvation. He's changed your passions. He's changed your perspective. And now you have the authority. You have the power in you to encourage other people. It comes from him. It comes from the Spirit. But also rebuking, challenging. It takes boldness. It takes courage to speak the truth to people that that maybe have wronged us or maybe is or wronging someone else. It takes knowledge to know what to say. It takes experience to be able to rebuke well. But God wants to save us. And through our faith, those who have faith have been saved already through Christ. But he wants to change our passions. He wants to change our perspective. And he wants to use other people to do this. He closes by saying, don't let anyone despise you. Now, of course, we don't, we don't have control over how other people think about us. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, he was sinless, and yet people hated him. There's some people that we have no control over how they view us. But something that is consistent in the Bible is as long as... And as far as you can control it, don't give people the opportunity to think evil of you. And what that means is, is that through our passions or maybe our perspectives or our lifestyles, we can project wrong living. We can say the wrong thing. We can, we can act in ways that might bring us enemies and I think the context of this is, is inside the church as well. Don't give someone in the church a reason to hate you. You see, this is about lifestyle. All This passage is about a way of life. It's not just about deeds. It's not just about showing up on Sunday and, and maybe doing some type of ministry throughout the week. God wants to change your passions he wants to change your perspective, and He wants to do it through people. He wants to do it through the church. So you might be asking yourself, well, what if people do despise me? <laughs> what, what if I do have a lot of enemies? What if I have people in my family that don't like me, that think that I'm this, that, or the other? One of the beautiful things about confession is that we have already been forgiven in Christ for things that we've done wrong. And so when people accuse us of things, they may not be right. They may not be, that may be a reflection of their pain, their suffering, their perspective, their bad passions, their bad perspective. But the great thing about faith, the great thing about the safety of the church is that we can stop and think for one second and consider is what they're saying true about me that gives us an incredible freedom and the only way that we can do that especially if the person is coming at us maliciously or or maybe they're not even a christian maybe they're accusing us of something and they have bad passions or they have a bad perspective one of the things 
that's incredibly powerful is that because we have been forgiven and because we have experienced the salvation of Christ, we can stop and take the risk of considering what they have to say and whether it's true or not. And if it is, then we have another way that we can improve through the power of God. See, God wants to use other people to change your passions and perspectives. And the reason he does this is because he loves you and he loves me. And he allows us to experience these difficulties. Ultimately, God has saved Christians through Christ, through his work, through his faithfulness. And it requires our faith. He wants to save us, but he wants to change us in this life. He wants to change our passions. In other words, how we feel, what we desire, what we want. He wants to change our perspective, how we view the world, the lens by which we see people, the way we think. But he also wants to use that new passion and perspective for him to do good to others. And it's often when we are dealing with other people that we begin to see where we still need to grow and change. And there's a great encouragement in seeing how God does this in the life of the Christian. He wants to use you. He wants to use me in this church. And this small body of people who are so random in terms of their giftings, their backgrounds, their perspectives. It's an incredible passage, I think, to kind of kick off our new year. Christ has come, he saved us, and he's using each and every one of us to help shape him into himself, into Jesus, into the mind of our Savior and how he lived. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your gospel. We're unworthy of your gospel. We're thankful that you've come to us so innocently and vulnerably to this world to live. And not just to be a king, not just to be God, but to serve. It's an incredible picture, and there's great power in that and we thank you that you've demonstrated that to us we thank you for the power that you've given us through the Holy Spirit because of this you've purified us you've redeemed us and you've equipped us with this power power that you say will change our lives God we pray that you would change our lives that you would grow us and stretch us, maybe even through people at ICV who are equally broken and equally sinful as we are. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, I pray that you would use this time of lockdown to reveal in us what our passions are. And those may be good passions and they may be bad passions. God, I pray that you would use this time. I know that that it's in our suffering that we usually find where our problems lie and maybe where our solutions lie. I pray that you would draw us to yourself this season. I pray that you would change our perspective, that you would keep our perspective on you, 
that miraculously that you would change the way that we live in order that we might do good in the world, but in order that we might see you better for ourselves as well. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, I pray for Lithuania. We pray for the world. Sickness and, and fear, anxiety, depression, poverty, instability, insecurity. So many different things happening at the same time. God, I pray that you would that you would give us the right perspective in this, that you would make us bold, that you would make us courageous, that you would make us see how blessed we are. God, give us great gratitude in the midst of a time where most people are complaining. I pray that you would give us courage and that you would give us extra faith. I pray that you would send us into the world and put us around people that are difficult I know that's such a dangerous prayer. I pray that you would teach us through the people that we see and meet. Maybe that's even people at ICV. God, use that. Change my heart. Change the hearts of these, my friends. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close our prayer with the Lord's Prayer as he taught us. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.